0: Welcome to episode 27 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And today we've brought on a guest, uh, Sam Dykstra of MLB Pipeline, to talk with us about the Arizona Fall League and Gabriel Moreno. Stoughton, I feel like early in our podcast we were notorious for rambling about Alec Manoa, and that generally came good in the end. But... It might have served us to have someone on the podcast who actually knew their (laughs) prospects instead of us just, uh, you know, speculating and scouting the uh, stat line. So we've learned our lesson this
1: time. I think that will be helpful, yeah.
0: There's a surprising amount of Blue Jays news this week. Again, like every week I kind of expect it's going to be a dry spell and we're going to have nothing to discuss and I don't know where we're going to go with it. But every week things just seem to happen
1: that, you know.
0: I don't know if that's going to continue all offseason. I mean, I think
1: there's going to be a couple months where there's <laughs> where we're talking about collective bargaining, but okay, yeah.
0: But yeah, so far so good, and we're going to get to some of the burrio stuff later in the show, but I think we got to start with the whole MVP uh, and Cy Young's coming down um Robbie Ray has won the Cy Young I know on this show uh I showed some support for Garrett Cole which was probably not appreciated by virtually any of the (laughs) listeners um but not only did Robbie Ray win and I expected Ray to win at this point uh he won by a handy margin there the old 29 to 1 virtually a unanimous Cy Young-win, were you also taken aback by how decisive that was?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I I thought there was, like, strong arguments for Cole. Like, uh, you know, the the Fangraph's version of war. I know people are weird with FIP sometimes. Um, But there's a reason that that's a thing. And, uh, you know, I think he was, like, eighth in the American League in Fangraph's version of war. Uh, So, you know, uh, baseball reference, he was ahead by quite a lot. Obviously, the ERA was great. The strikeouts codes were great. The innings were great. Led, led the league in all those things. Um, but, yeah, I thought that definitely some people would, uh, especially with the Yankees making the playoffs, you know, that's, I mean, that's becoming less and less of a thing uh, in terms of award voting uh, than it was, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago even. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought that definitely it would be a little bit more mixed than that uh which was uh, which is to to Jason Beck the uh the chagrin of the tigers uh, MLB.com guy who uh was the one lone dissenter on on Robbie Ray and voted for Cole uh and then took a bunch of heat for it cuz apparently people go nuts about awards which is very weird to me um but yeah he unfortunately was like the only one who went that way but it, it, that was surprising and i you know um i, I don't know why anybody would be would 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 take that stance and be mad at the one guy who did a thing that we expect a lot more other people to do?
0: Yeah, and and I think Jason Beck deserves some credit for being forthright about it. Right? We often find with the, whether it's award voting, sometimes Hall of Fame, Hall voting, of Fame is the weird. There'll be one, yeah. some like truly bizarre shit that comes through, and we <laughs> never get to find out who it was who did it. Yeah. Um. And so Beck recognized the situation. Like, oh, I'm the sole dissenter. This is something people are going to think about. And I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be transparent about the fact it was me. And I I think it was valid. I kind of expected going in, you know, Ray had all the sort of traditional stats, for lack of a better term. I know maybe not wins, but people don't really care. I I don't know. I haven't even looked at the wins leaderboard. Maybe he did have wins. Yeah, I have Um, no idea. (laughs) So, yeah, I might be talking on my ass. Anyway, he, he had the innings. He had the strikeouts. He had the ERA. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like all of the sort of, less statistically inclined voters, for lack of a better term, were going to pretty much march in line behind Ray. And then I figured that the other voters, based on some of the other stuff that Cole had and sort of the you know strikeout walks, FIP, contact management, that type of stuff, I thought that they would split, maybe still favoring Ray, but you'd get something like 75 to 85% of voters going for Ray. And yeah, it, it's pretty exciting to see him win by that big a margin. I think it also hammers home how memorable this season is going to be. And we, we don't know what's going to happen with Robbie Ray in terms of him coming back. I know a lot of people have predicted him coming back, um, but it would be, it's kind of cool. The idea that this is just this one moment in time where you get to appreciate one of the, yeah, one of the most improbable Cy Youngs we can remember, right? Like, you know, there's, there's things like R. A. Dickey winning a Cy Young kind of popped to mind <laughs> as one of those ones that yeah. you never would have predicted. I'm not going to say this is sort of truly unprecedented in baseball, people kind of come from nowhere and find that adjustment more than they do in, say, basketball or the NHL or something like that. But this one does stand out. Like, this is one that if, you know, if in the middle of the 2020 season, someone had told – while Ray was pitching for the Diamondbacks and pitching <laughs> poorly, someone had said, you know who's going to win the Cy Young next year? It's Robbie Ray. You would have been pretty dumbfounded by that take.
1: I think so, yeah. Though, I mean, he, he does – you know, he's had some pretty good seasons on his on his track record. But, yeah, he was – uh uh, he was not in a great spot, and uh, credit to him, credit to Pete Walker, credit to Matt Bushman and all the other, you know, whoever else the Jays have working on this stuff, which I think goes beyond one guy, though he often tends to get the credit, uh, which is to say he doesn't deserve plenty of credit as well, but uh, also credit to Robbie Ray. Uh, and it, it's just it's a bit of a shame that he's a free agent right now, and it's, you know, I think, uh, it, were, were he clearly going to be coming back for the Jays next year? I think maybe there would have been a little bit more of a, Uh, more fanfare about it Um, or maybe I just slept through it I don't know but it it felt to me like it it, that it it wasn't quite as uh the the fan base wasn't maybe as rabid about this one as the Vlad one for example uh because obviously he's a guy who's going to be around for uh for a very long time
0: and has been around you know he's young in his career but also we've been hearing about Vlad forever right so he feels like this Blue Jays institution even though he's only 22 years old Whereas Ray, you know, he definitely got fans to his side. You know, he got the tight pants going. His sure performance did. was incredible. That's fine. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so no, but I'm sure that Blue Jays fans are attached to him. And but it's a different situation. Like Vladdy's a whole different thing. And it was interesting because neither of the results were a surprise. Like I don't think that many people honestly believed that Vladdy was going to win the MVP. Um, and then again, you got the the almost unanimous, Although who really cares about unanimous second place? Right. Like, I, I saw some people <laughs> like, oh, I can't believe that Vladdy didn't get second place. Like, I can't imagine someone. I know that I'm pretty confident that Vladdy doesn't care that someone voted for Sal Perez. Like, I. I'd say I'm 99.9% confident that Vladdy isn't losing sleep over winning unanimous second place in the MVP vote.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, and South Price had a great season. And honestly, you could, I don't know. I, I, uh, I am intrigued by the argument that a catcher should probably win every year just because of how important they are on the field. Yeah, we I could Maybe see don't capture their value as well as, you know, Buster Posey should have won every year he was in the league kind of a thing.
0: Here's a guy who's a catcher with a great defensive reputation. I know that the framing numbers were really bad. Um, but a great defensive reputation and hits 48 home runs. It's easy to see someone take that package and say, you know what, that's a pretty unique, like in a year <laughs> full of unique not- years, that's a pretty unique year, you know? Like, it would have been better opposite.
1: maybe if it wasn't, you know, the Kansas City Star writer, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it might have been a little bit better. Uh, yeah. Yeah, those situations are always very odd when you get sort of the hometown writer who's like, I'm the one who's really seen and appreciated or just, you know, more blatantly trying to curry favor. I don't know what goes into a vote like that. I am trying to justify it, but like realistically it had to be Otani 1, Vladdy 2 on your ballot. And there was a time in the year when Vladdy was really challenging Otani despite the fact Otani was doing the special thing because Vladdy's hitting was so good. But that kind of August dip was enough to... Yeah. To take him out of consideration for that. And I think that's totally fair.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, and I, you know, people got weird about Otani cause it's like, Oh, it's like, it's not fair somehow <laughs> that, yeah. like, that, that people are using the word valuable to mean, Oh, the amount of value that he provided, which is uh on both sides of the ball. Like, sorry, I don't, I, I it, it's so strange to, to be mad about the guy who had the, like just such an incredible season winning the award Uh, but also, and I was talking to somebody about this on Twitter, like you can literally just add up his wins above replacement, uh, on both sides of the ball, right? Like I think he was a three win pitcher and a five win hitter, according to fan graphs. So, you know, nine wins, Vlad had like six and change. Um, but also nine wins, you know, there's, I think Mookie Betts had, had, was over 10 a couple years ago. Jacob DeGrom was over 10 in 2018. Um, you know, it's not like. Oh this is so unfair. Otani will always win. It's like I don't know, if you, like there will definitely presumably be years where even adding those two things combined there's somebody who is better on one side of on one side of the ball alone. Yeah. For I only, wouldn't rule out he, Mike he trod, made, made for his instance. teammate exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it, uh, so I don't know. Yeah. It, it, I think it's a, it's Vlad has lots of time to win another MVP award. That's not really what they play the game for. He had a great season. It's not Disparaging to him to be second, Uh, Otani was amazing. Um, Yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy living in the world that uh, uh, Otani exists in as well.
0: Yeah, the idea of penalizing him for being so good that he does something that other people can't possibly fathom (laughs) doesn't seem like a logical way to go about. Yeah, I think we, as much as we appreciate Otani, we probably don't even appreciate him enough. And that's insane to say. It's like ranking someone ninety nine in a sports game and saying they should be un- they're underrated because they should be a hundred. But that's kind of what the appreciation of Otani is like. Like this is truly something. And we also don't know how long it's going to last. Like I'd like right. to believe that for ten years Otani does this. And hell, if he wins the MVP every year, <laughs> more power to him. But you know, we've seen him encounter health problems in the past. We are in kind of uncharted waters with him. And so I think it's okay to be like, oh, this is an unbelievable thing to happen and treat it as such because, yeah, it's definitely not a, uh, it's not a given that this is going to be the new norm forever. Like Otani might end up being a guy who, let's say he has some arm problems and I don't want any of this to happen. Right. But let's say he has some arm problems and doesn't end up pitching in the future and he's sort of like a four, five win outfielder. And like, that would be a very good player and the Angels <laughs> would be happy to have yeah. him, but he wouldn't be this sort of, overarching narrative that hangs over the entire league he would just be like another really cool superstar of which there are many in this year in baseball
1: yeah it'd be nice uh well it'd be nice to see him make the playoffs one time maybe trout trout as well (laughs) i mean yeah i think he's got a couple games but yeah
0: trout has the precedence for that he's the guy who deserves to make it anyway uh i could talk about trani and trout for quite a while but that is not what people tune into this podcast for They tune in for Blue Jays analysis, so we're going to turn that over to our guest this week, Sam Dykstra. Sam, thank you for joining us. We need to discuss Gabriel Moreno because, you know, he's been outstanding throughout 2021 in a year where the Blue Jays traded away prospects. I think he's one that fans have really started to focus on. And this Arizona Fall League performance is really impressive on paper. But, you know, we're not there. I think sometimes it's too easy to scout the stat line and assume that something amazing is happening, and that's not always the case. What I want to know is what has this Arizona Fall League performance from Moreno shown us maybe that we didn't know coming into it, or has it shown us anything at all?
2: Um, well, first off, thanks so much for having me on, guys. This is great. Um, I think first off, the biggest thing that it's shown us about Moreno is just what does he look like now? A, a big thing for Moreno was he really broke out at AA New Hampshire earlier in the year, suffered a fractured thumb, and then we didn't get to see him for a while. Uh, he had a very, very brief cameo at A at the end of the year, but... How was the back gonna hold up coming off that injury? And was it just small sample size noise at New Hampshire, or you know, was the plus to plus plus hit tool that we saw with the Fisher Cats real? What we've seen in the fall league backs up everything that we saw over the summer. Um, He's answered a lot of questions, uh, particularly with his ability to spray the ball into the gaps and and all over the place, produce uh, high exit velocities. Um, So the Gabriel Moreno we thought we saw in the summer has carried over to the fall. And, and that's been a, a huge bonus in how we evaluate him and who we think he can be going forward.
0: When you're looking at players in the Arizona Fall League, how does the quality of competition complicate that? Because when you're looking at you know single A, double A, whatever the level is, it's not that every team to team is going to be totally consistent or player to player, but they're there for a very, you know, specific band of readiness and talent, and it seems like the Arizona Fall League is a little bit more of a mixed bag. So when you're looking at what Moreno's doing there, how do you kind of factor in who he's up against and how that can vary?
2: Yeah, I mean, typically people like to ask me this question of how do you view the fall league on that kind of like you said low A, high A, Double AA, A, Triple A spectrum? Typically, I like to think of it as kind of a midpoint between double A AA and triple A. Uh, we like to call it the prospect finishing school. A lot of guys are sent here as, hey, go compete against other top prospects, get to know that environment uh, and you know, hopefully we'll have you up next year. I think this year is a little bit different. I think this year there's a, more guys who are trying to make up at bats like a Moreno or make up innings uh, because 2021 was a weird season. It was great to have minor league baseball back. But a lot of these guys weren't playing on a regular basis in 2020. There were some injuries that happened, some freak ones like Marino's, but still. Um, so it isn't just top prospects. There are guys trying to complete their their, ma- their minor league cycle to become major leaguers. It's more filled with even lower level guys. You know, speaking of somebody in the Blue Jays system, Leo Jimenez fits that bill pretty well. He didn't really play in the upper minors at all. And he's there to make up at-bats. There's more of those guys than I think in a typical year. Um, but still. For Moreno to do this as well as he has and perform as well as he has, again, if it's around that double-A level instead of midway between double-A AA and triple-A, it's still solidifying what we thought we saw when he was you know, with the Fisher Cats in the summer.
0: One of the things when you're evaluating catcher, and this is a very difficult thing to do even at the big league level, is sort of looking at defensively game-calling how they work with the staff. Is that really difficult to do in a context like this, where the teammates are people you've been thrown together with from different organizations, potentially, and not people you work with over a long period of time? Or on the flip side, do you maybe get a good sense of what guys can do on that side of it because it's a more difficult situation?
2: Yeah, I I think that's a great point. It's one of my favorite things to talk to catchers playing in the fall league, because normally in your regular season, you are... Catching everybody who's in your organization. There's an organizational plan. You know who that is. You're probably catching the, the same guys. You know every week, week in and week out for weeks and months at a time. Uh, it's so so much more of a rotating basis in the fall league. It, it's a little tougher to evaluate like how game calling is working because you're trying to balance. Okay, if you're a pitcher, you're here to maybe work on your curveball. Um, and if I'm a Blue Jays catcher, maybe that's something we don't typically throw or whatever it's it's really getting thrown into the fire i don't look into it too hard of like oh they really seem to not be on the same page of course that's going to happen i mean that it it almost feels like exhibitions every day in that way of learning guys and, and that aspect um i look more towards blocking and receiving and arm strength like the measurable tools uh, how do those hold up but you know it's always a bonus if if a guy can come out the other side and and pitchers are naming a, a catcher saying hey, I really like throwing to this guy. Uh, Logan O'Hoppe in the Philly system has been brought up multiple times as somebody Fall League pitchers like to throw to uh, so far this autumn. And I think that can work. I just don't really factor it in that much just because there are so many variables at play there.
0: That makes sense. I I think it's pretty clear that everyone sees Gabriel Moreno's greatest value as being a catcher. That's part of... What makes him a special pro- prospect is that he has the defensive abilities behind the plate, but what do you make of him getting some work at third base, and I don't know if you saw any of that. Like, What do you see out of that? him being out in the infield, and what does that say about his kind of athleticism overall?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get eyes on him myself uh, at third base when I was down there, but that being said, I've I talked to Jonathan Mayo, who's been down there, uh for a little bit and he's kind of been updating me on what Moreno looks like at third when he catches him and he he said he made a nice play there the other day he has the arm strength for it i think that's why you're doing it i think if maybe if Moreno was playing in almost any other system uh he wouldn't be doing this right now uh trying out third base yes versatility is great every team loves to preach versatility uh but looking at the the Blue Jays catching situation right now with Jansen and Kirk and McGuire, trying to figure those guys out and Moreno likely will be major league ready in the first half Um, giving him another opportunity to win a third base spot. I mean, that's a big question mark right now on the Blue Jays roster. Maybe that's the easiest way in for him. I don't think he necessarily has the speed to cover, you know, to have the range for third base, but he has the arm. And if he can be just okay there and you can find a way to get his bat in the lineup every day, it's worth a shot. They can try it. Um, I still think he's a good enough defensive catcher to kind of elbow his way past those other guys and create a, role behind the plate at the major league level. But give him a look there. Maybe he surprises some folks and uh we'll definitely be watching more as it, as he expands that sample size going into the spring.
0: You stole a little bit of what I wanted to ask next, and I think to be honest, what a lot of Blue Jays fans are thinking, which is how close to MLB ready does he seem? And if you're saying you can see it in sort of the first half of 2022, what are the let's call them the hurdles that he'd have to get over between now and then to reach that, and I know that there's no uniform definition of MLB readiness, but to reach what you would classify as MLB readiness, putting aside all, um, you know, service time manipulation
2: for lack of a better term. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's a major question mark right now uh, in terms of service time, just because of, we don't know what the CBA is going to look like coming out of this. It, is service time going to be a consideration for when you call up players, uh, you know, on the hush hush side in terms of, Oh, you know, he needs more work at AAA and we'll call him up when we can gain an extra year of free agency. That might not be even part of the equation uh, in 2022. So I'm going to kind of put that off to the side. But in terms of Major League readiness with Moreno specifically, it's just at-bats. I mean, he didn't get that many at-bats this summer because of the injury. Uh, He's making up for it now. There's reports that he's going to head down to the Venezuelan Winter League after this. So he's going to make up for more at-bats there. But he only got a, a short cameo at AAA. He needs to see that level over a longer period of time. The reason why I say I think he's major league ready in the first half is because some of the measurables we're getting off of him are are akin to what major leaguers are doing. You look at his exit velocities. He had the hardest hit ball in the Fall Stars game at 107.9 miles an hour. Yeah, it was an out, but it took an incredible defensive play to make it happen. He was regularly putting up mid, you know, 105, 106, 107 in the spring. His pop times are decent. His arm strength is good. All the pieces are there. He just needs to show it on a more regular basis before I think the Jays are comfortable enough to call him up. But because all the tools are there, all the excitement is there, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it's May or June. Just once he gets playing every day uh, back at Buffalo and and it can really solidify his his health and uh, just ability to be consistent week in and week out.
0: The reports that we tend to hear on Marin are kind of consistent with what you just said there in terms of he's kind of checking all the boxes. Like this is a guy who can help on the offensive side and the defensive side of the game. What are what do you think are really the standout skills? Like what are the things that he's best at? Or is it better to conceptualize him as a guy who does everything well as opposed to a couple of things at
2: an outstanding level? Uh, I mean, for me, it, it's, it's the bat. It's the bat that's going to stand out most. Uh, maybe that's just because you know, we all exist in an environment where we pay more attention to offense, but I think the, the hit tool has a real chance to be plus-plus. Uh, it, it's just been incredible what he was able to do at New Hampshire, batting three seventy three over 32 games. Again, a small sample, but the fact that he's backing it up so far in the fall league, um, ranking right up there among the doubles leaders despite missing the first week of fall league play uh i love watching him hit i i if you ever get a chance to watch him hit and watch minor league highlights or some of the stuff coming out of the fall league what he does with his elbow is really interesting it's a lot of moving parts but he's always right in sync right when the pitch is coming in and that allows him to draw the ball deep to to gaps and all over the yard um i think the power is a little bit behind the hit tool right now but i think it could be there he could be a 25 homer guy when it's all said and done um, so, yeah, the defense, I think, will be fine. I think it's going to be able to you know get him to the major leagues and stick a catcher. But I think it's the hit tool that's going to make him super exciting uh, as a major leaguer and potentially a future all-star.
0: If we're setting out to be pessimistic, which you don't know, but uh, Stoughton knows about <laughs> me is a little bit my disposition. How would things go in a world where things go wrong with Gabriel Moreno, other than sort of catastrophic injury, which can happen to anyone? How do things go wrong? Like where are the holes in
2: his game potentially? Well, so that's that's the thing, is that I don't I don't want to say catastrophic injury is a chance that could happen, but he is a catcher. Catching prospects are notoriously difficult um to kind of project. There there's a lot of wear and tear when you're back there all the time. Um anything can kind of happen. You go back to Matt Wheaters as kind of the classic example. Matt Weeders mm-hmm. had a great not a great major league career, but a good major league career. He was around for a while, but he was somebody You know, kind of before my time in the prospect world, but I remember
1: (laughs) covering. He was not better than sliced bread, it turns out. Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) Uh, And everybody was saying, you know, this guy can really defend, he can really hit, he can really do all these things. And he got to the major league level and was average in his best years. Um, That's kind of difficult to swallow. And I think just because you are back there all the time, there are so many things you need to do as a catcher uh, that even if you do them average, it can look bad because you're hitting 220 all of a sudden. I don't think Moreno's going to be that guy. I do think the hit tool is good enough, and it's it's held up for long enough, dating back to even 2019. Um, but if that's where it's, something's going to go wrong with him, it's just because he is a catcher. Crazy things happen to catchers. Um, they all can't be Buster Posey's, Lord knows. And uh, yeah, that that's that's where I would kind of keep an eye on. It's just how what is his wear and tear, and uh, how does that kind
1: of drag down the offense? I mean, uh, the Blue Jays haven't haven't developed a catcher since Pat Borders, so uh, <laughs> so yeah, we we get that for sure.
0: Yes, and the catcher, of the future grind uh, north of the 49th grind. parallel has been the c- a long
1: current run. current crop is actually not so bad though. I was gonna say yeah, because
2: like we could have had this very same conversation not at this level. Trust me, I was not as high on this guy <laughs> as I am as Moreno, but like Alejandro Kirk had a lot of momentum going into last year. And, for sure and everybody thought he was going to be the kind of catcher of the future and talking about wear and tear like guy played 60 games this year uh and that that kind of dulled the profile now and now we're looking at the next guy i mean that's that's life and prospectum really it's always who's the next guy uh, you can't be satisfied with what you have but uh yeah that's kind of prime example of what i'm talking
1: about yeah there. for sure danny jansen before him too was uh you know a top 100 guy
2: right right i remember talking to danny jansen at the Futures game and thinking this guy can really so, uh solidify himself as the blue Jays catcher of the future, and you know he very well might he's still good he it's his job to lose
1: yeah i think I think they love him actually, so yeah, very much so.
2: Sam before we let you go,
0: just wondering if there's any other uh, I just Moreno has taken up so much oxygen uh in the Blue Jays world. And for good reason, like you point out, this is the type of prospect whose biggest concern is the position he plays rather than the skills that he has. Uh, is there anything else in Blue Jays Arizona Fall League that we have missed that uh, the that Blue Jays fans should know about while well, they've been focusing on the their players losing out on unanimous award votes by one and uh, <laughs> everything that's happened with Moreno? Yeah, I know,
2: right? Like, the yeah. You have Robbie Ray, and then you have two of your players finishing the top three for AL MVP. It's not a bad life, I would imagine, no. there right now. Uh, but in terms of other guys who who have kind of made me pay attention, um, Graham Spraker, a reliever, mm-hmm. um, kind of he only really throws fastballs. It's really interesting to watch him throw. He throws about mid nineties. He will mix in kind of a slider cutter. It's more of a cutter now because it's sitting around ninety miles an hour. Uh, but he just spots the ball really well, and AFL guys have found it. Really difficult to square up, which is saying something because the pitching has been really down in the AFL. Normally, it's a hitters' league, anyways, but especially this year, hitters have thrived more. Um, so Graham Spreaker looks like a potential relief piece for Toronto, uh, and the other one I'll throw out is Spencer Horwitz, who I haven't checked today's numbers, but I know the other day uh, was leading the AFL in batting average. Uh, he's first base only, so that's there's some questions there. He's not going to be a huge <laughs> yeah. power guy, but uh, Spencer Horwitz is making me pay attention more than I was expecting coming in. Cause I thought I was only going to be looking really at Moreno and Jimenez and, uh, yeah, he's commanding attention. Yeah.
0: I think it's fair to say most Blue Jays observers have, are inclined to not pay attention to first base only guys these days. He's right. got a 22 year old Vladdy, but you never know who's going to be a trade piece. You never know. Um, yeah, you never know what happens to Vladdy. I mean,
2: I guess you do know that he'll be Let, the starter for let's a while. Not let's even, let's even not put even. that out <laughs> into the universe. I was going to go the other way and say maybe he magically learns third base again and becomes really good over there. That we'll
1: swing back the yeah. optimistic I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, that yeah.
0: has been discussed a lot over the last year. I'd be surprised. but uh, yeah. surprised. He's still yeah. got the arm, if nothing else. Um, Sam, we really appreciate you coming on. Like I said before, I feel like sometimes we're kind of spitballing about prospects without an educated viewpoint, so it's really good to tap into one today. And uh, thanks again for coming on and tuning us in to what's going on with Moreno.
2: Yeah, anytime. Thanks so much for having me.
0: It's good to have someone kind of reassure you that the hype about the prospect <laughs> uh, you've been hearing about is legit. You know what I mean? Like, it's so easy for, for sure. there to be kind of groupthink and people. And, you know, I have an article that should be up on Sportsnet by the time you guys listen to this that's about Moreno. And, spoiler alert, it's, uh, it's pretty optimistic, uh, especially for me. <laughs> so uh, it, it is good to know that, you know, it's not just a blue jays toronto bubble thing i mean we the prospect lists show you that level of respect right but it's good to hear from other observers that what you're seeing and what you're hearing about uh yeah is about as legitimate as it gets
1: yeah absolutely no uh that was good lots of great stuff there that it, it, it's a very interesting swing i'm glad we got to that with sam um the moving parts in the elbow and you know it's got he's got the bat on his shoulder at one point you know but uh it works the bat the bat's where it needs to be when the when the ball's crossing the plate so uh yeah pretty exciting stuff uh it, it it's uh I, it was almost though you know not break pumping but i've definitely seen people out there being like oh you got to move him to third base because the bat's just so good that you gotta you know yeah you can't, you can't let him be catcher be a catcher because of you know the attrition rates and whatever and i'd you know, I don't know if he's that guy. You know, he's not. It's, we're not talking about Vlad here, like a twenty-five homer guy. That's great with good contact. You know, lots, lots to love about the bat, but I think it's a bat that plays as a catcher more than a bat that you have to get into the lineup no matter where you possibly can. So we should switch him to somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the reward for him being that a catcher is so high. Like catchers sure. don't hit particularly well, and you know, the piece I'm doing that's coming out on Friday is sort of about guys that. Baseball America has tabbed as a top 10 prospect to catchers and they've been doing it since 1990 and they very rarely put catchers there and it's for all the reasons that Sam outlined right mm-hmm. because they're worried about the attrition the injuries that can pile up the way that that can you know physically break down their athleticism and stuff like that and as a result the guys who break through into that top 10 which Moreno is at last uh writing of the list end up including some very special guys like, you know, Buster Posey, like Yvonne Rodriguez, like, you know, Joe Maurer Matt and readers. very, f- <laughs> I mean, obviously I'm not saying Moreno's, any of that, but very few real busts, like some of the worst players that are in that list are guys like Michael Barrett, who still ended up being decent, you know, everyday catchers or Matt Weiders. Like, right. if Matt Wieters is kind of the, like, I don't know. I even thought that Sam was maybe a little bit low on what Matt Wieters was early in his career. He had some really good seasons. If, if Gabriel Moreno is Matt Wieters, I don't think the Blue Jays are too disappointed.
1: No, I think that's fair. I mean, or Michael Barrett, as long as, you know, A.J. Pruszynski is around to get punched in the face.
0: <laughs> or, yeah, and with maybe some defensive <laughs> ability whatsoever. It also, would be that not. would probably be good. Michael yeah. Barrett was pretty bad back there. Anyway, it it, it feels <laughs> like... At least chronologically, we buried the lead a little bit uh, in this episode because the whole Jose Barrios extension happened. Now, I think it's okay for us to bury the lead because, you know, we know you, the listener, obviously, you listen to the whole thing. You're loyal. You get it. So it's okay to put it down here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's a thing that happened, and it's pretty, you know, it's a pretty significant move for the Blue Jays. The reaction was pretty broadly positive, Stoughton. Like, I don't think I can – I can't think of a single piece that I saw that was like, this is a bad idea. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there wasn't much dissent on this one.
1: Yeah, that was uh, kind of remarkable. But also, you know... I, I, if you can't bet on Barrios, you know if you're going to give a seven it, it is a long contract for a pitcher and that usually would spark people being being very concerned about things but it like he's 27 and he's been as durable as anybody and you know that there's always a chance that a pitcher you know injuries happen but um but if you can't bet on him you can't bet on anybody so uh so hell yeah go bet on him and just his all the positivity about Toronto and about the organization. And, and uh, it was uh, uh, it was a good moment for the Blue Jays, uh, even though, yeah, it's, you know, objectively you do think seven-year contracts for pitchers, but it's a long time. Though also the opt-out kind of makes it uh, uh, really interesting as well. Like a lot of the, that was, I think, a great part of it is that like a lot of it, the, the, the Shido Davidi had the piece at Sportsnet last, uh, on, on Thursday night about how it all came together and the opt-out after year five a bunch of the the money is after that and it was kind of like a fail safe in case the blue jays like pivot and and tear down quickly somehow uh because you know I think Vlad and Bo will be free agents by that point as well uh and it's more it was more or at least cast in this piece more about him wanting to be somewhere uh not wanting to be in a situation where they're rebuilding and wanting to make sure that they're still a winning team uh you know 5 years into it which is like Hell yeah, man. That's that's how do you not want that kind of guy on your team? That makes sense to
0: me, especially in the context of how the Blue Jays contracts and roster is constructed. I do think that there's some misunderstanding about an opt-out. Like an opt-out benefits the player. Like I sure. think a lot of people think, oh, well, you'll get five years, and those are the cheapest years, and those are the best years, and it's gonna work out great for the Blue Jays. Yeah, but if there wasn't an opt-out like, if the opt out is good value from that point on, then the player is gonna he's gonna leave, which means the the team has lost those years on what would have been good value. And if it's not good value, he's gonna stay, which means you're paying a player that's not good value. Sure, so, but also
1: if he but if he opts out, that means the contract to that point.
0: Uh, has gone very well but it would have gone better like if he opts out (laughs) then the rest of the contract would have gone even better you know what i mean potentially or at least in the view at that moment in time it like i said it is complicated by the roster dynamics that you've described but i do think that a lot of times fans see that opt-out and they think oh that's great the the money is after the opt-out and he'll be young enough and maybe he'll just leave and the first five worked out great but we have to remember that like that is for the player and the contract as a whole is actually probably worth less money. Well, it's not probably; it is worth less money because the opt out is included. Like that's that's a a discount that Barrios is giving the Blue Jays so that he has that flexibility.
1: For sure, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I think that the the idea that he that that it was more about the going to be about the state of the team rather than money. The which was why I guess they were comfortable uh, backloading it to that extent. Uh, is kind of cool i thought that you know i enjoy that and uh and and hopefully he pitches great and doesn't opt out you know it's it's still going to be like what like two years 48 million uh at the point where he's in his early 30s or whatever it is um i don't know even just based on his track record like that's not going to kill you you know we were already you know Noah Syndergaard's pitched two innings in the last like two seasons yeah, you know, Burrios uh, <laughs> is about
0: the polar opposite of No. Like he's the exact opposite well, yes. guy as No. As Syndergaard.
1: <laughs> sure, but you know the, the teams are still paying big money for risky bets. Uh, you know to uh, for uh, short term, and I doubt that will change by twenty twenty five or whenever the hell twenty twenty six, whenever the opt out actually happens.
0: And I think also the seven year deal that stands out. Like oh, seven years for a pitcher, but realistically if you'd sign him to a 6-year deal in free agency after this year i don't think that that would have had the same level of kind of commitment shock right so it's just but it's i even a though i don't even time. think
1: there was much commitment shock i think no like there wasn't say, kind it, of it was in very, discourse. very positive yeah
0: and so i mean that is kind of surprising to me but yeah the, the you're going to get value every year i guess if i had to complain about the uh, the structure of the contract It does seem a little bit odd that it's getting more expensive as the other players are getting more expensive. Mm -hmm. Like, if anything, you kind of tend to do a deal like this when you feel like this moment is the exact moment. So that's good news because it means, you know, the Blue Jays are paying him in 2021 basically what they would have paid him anyway through arbitration, a little less. So that tells me like, oh, they're going to spend in 2021. Like this is not really going to affect what they do this year, especially on short term deals. But it is the case that as Vladdy, as Bo gets more expensive, potentially Teosco Hernandez, we don't know what's going to happen with extension there or whatever. He's going to get more expensive, too. And in a way, you might have been able to do a version where he gets like they did with Grichik, where his contract dipped a little bit, kind of at a strategic yeah. point. I think
1: Springer as well. I think Springer this year was like twenty nine million, and it dips again.
0: Like I like those kind of structures, but again, like that is so nitpicky to get in on it <laughs> at that level because this is a good contract. If you're going to bet on anybody, this is a guy to bet on. Not just in terms of like you said, as a as a guy, you know, he's a, his nickname is the machine. For God's sake. But like his production too, like you don't, you don't even have to know anything about the guy. You could just take a look at his Fangraphs page or his baseball reference page, whatever you want to do. His level of consistency and durability is truly ridiculous. Like it it is, you know, I don't know, predicting the future is always tough, but if you're going to do it, this is the guy who you feel like you know what you're going to get from him. And that, like, it's kind of it's very different than Ryu, for instance, who was pretty high variance. And we saw kind of the ups, and this year we saw a little bit of the downs of that. And it's a similar, you know, average annual value on that. This is the guy where you're like, yep, pencil him in. That's a two, and it's going to be a good two.
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> for some reason, I'm reminded of Marcus Stroman here as well, but uh, I guess maybe for other reasons. Uh, they didn't, uh, they, you know, they did not want to have around, but, uh, there's another guy who you could say similar things about durable and consistent and whatever. Uh, but moving beyond that, uh, yeah, I, I, as to the structure, I think that, um, you're right. It is weird that it's, that it does escalate as it sort of goes on, but also like next winter is sort of the big deal and it's still low there, right? Cause next winter you still you still have the Gritchick money and the Ryu money on your books, and then, even though other guys are getting more expensive, Teoscar, Bo, Vlad, afterwards, uh, I think next year is maybe uh, it's a concern, or it's not like you know, it's not like the hugest thing. And also, you know, any like financial stuff, like the, obviously the, the the important thing to underline that is underneath everything is you know, of course, Rogers could pay more and could just do it. So you know, it's it's. People get weird about, oh, we are talking about contracts and, and uh, you know, you're letting the billionaires off the hook and, you know, a little bit. But also, I don't know, the Blue Jays have a particular budget and this is how we yeah, do Yeah, we're
0: speaking within the confines of what they expect, what we expect them to spend. And I don't yeah. think that's unfair. We're just, we're not like, yeah, it would be great to see them spend more and they could run, you know, they could run the highest payroll in the entire league. And that would be fantastic and paradigm changing. And we would have a very different conversation about virtually any free agent. But I don't think it's saying, oh, it's okay that they run the payroll they do or they should keep a low payroll. They should try not to pay players to just be realistic about what we kind of know about the franchise and what they're likely to do.
1: Right. Absolutely. And so I don't know. So next year, next winter, potentially very tricky because they'll have Barrios now and Ryu and Grichik and Springer and Teoscar in his last year of ARB. Bo will be in his first year. Vlad will be in year two of four. But he, you know, he's you know the Tasker and, and Vlad. I think are going to get you know combined to be almost thirty million dollars. Uh, plus, presumably, there's going to be more money on the books for next year. That's going to come in the form of somebody that they acquire this offseason. So So that that's getting if that's getting them into unprecedented unprecedented territory. Um, so I I get why maybe there wasn't like I don't know it wasn't as the way they structured it. Uh, it's sort of like, well, we'll we'll deal with we'll deal with the finances down the road, kind of a thing.
0: When I see the way this is this contract structured, and it's undoubtedly been in the works for some time, so I think that they kind of probably went into the off season, basically. I mean, I, I wouldn't say they necessarily had this in place, but basically having an idea of what they wanted to do here, because this is a you know this is a building block at this point. It's a sure. Very I mean, I don't think you
1: make that trade unless you think you're you know unless you're thinking about extending it.
0: So. When I hear that, they're, and again, we're going to peddle in rumors a lot on this podcast because that's the price of doing business over the next couple of months. But when I hear they're in on pitchers like Cindergard or Verlander who end up signing one-year contracts, uh, it's not the wildest thing to me to think that maybe they thought it was a good idea to have Barrios at his relatively low cost and then use that as an opportunity to spend big on a one-year contract that doesn't bleed into that the next winner that you're describing that could be a financial challenge, not financial challenge for them, but whatever, however you want to phrase that, Um, which is interesting, sort of the idea of getting someone on a one. Now, the Angels took a lot of flack for signing Syndergaard to a one-year deal where it Mm -hmm. seems like they're taking all the risk and not getting the potential value. But I wonder about maybe Verlander in particular, if the Blue Jays were thinking, oh, let's do a one-year deal here because all this money is coming up. And that would be an interesting way to kind of patch a hole in our rotation without shifting our long term plans.
1: Yeah, I I think well, it sounds like that they were they were right there on Syndergaard and and you know we don't know the shape of the contract that they were offering and maybe Syndergaard you know preferred a one year deal and the Jays were like no we need an option or something like that and and you know obviously the the Verlander deal is is one but it's like one and an option and it's kind of like fifty million guaranteed which is a lot but. uh but yeah, I, I think that, that that definitely that has always been my sense is that that would be you know ideal for them and probably a way that they're going to look is to try to like you know to get a guy who like to do a thing like they did with Robbie Ray and then maybe also play at the top of the market a little bit as well. Uh, but yeah, short term money is is definitely uh, well they love you know they love agility. They don't want to lock themselves. They don't want to be you know whatever like the Padres or the the Nationals. Of Of recent years, you know where you have a ton of really heavy contracts on the books they they uh you know and at some point they may have to do that they may that this may be the winter where they do that and you know ideally that would like that would be really great, but they definitely uh value the idea that you know they can they can uh not remake the the franchise every every winter but like you know the team has i forget which i don't know if it was fangraphs i forget who but like the team has strong bones right now. Uh, and so you don't really have to do these franchise-transforming things, especially because you already have, you know, Barrios now in the fold, Springer in the fold, Vlad Like there's, there's a lot here that you know that any way you go, any off-season, uh, you're going to still end up with a really good team. So the the idea, I think the the appeal of short-term deals and and, and I thought this winter would have been a really good. Opportunity for them because you have you know you had Verlander who's now not off the not on the market in Syndergaard. There's still Scherzer left. You know Zach Greinke's kind of washed a bit. I would say um, there's the 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 short-term guys are the market for them is dwindling at least in the free agency. There's other guys obviously you could find in trade um, where you would, you know could take on a bit of money, but but yeah, I, I think that that's probably the play for them uh and i guess we'll see i don't know that but i don't think that that necessarily rules them out of uh, robbie ray for example either uh or any of the other top free agents i know atkins was saying at the brios presser uh i in an ideal world they'd add two starters and and guys like nate pearson and thomas hatch would be you know have to earn those jobs and they said maybe it'll be one but it definitely sounds like like they're they're gonna add big league guys on big league deals to pitch in their rotation
0: yeah i mean the Arguably, the best thing going for them from a roster construction standpoint right now is they've got kind of that NFL rookie quarterback contract thing going. Right. Where you've got the really young guys who don't make that much money, and then you pile on the – like. This is a very niche reference, but this is very much the 2012 to 2014 Seattle Seahawks who built one of the best rosters in football, one of the best defenses we've seen in the last 20 years. They did that because Russell Wilson was a third round pick making less than a million dollars. And then they're able to sign all these veterans to short term contracts while that was happening before they had to sign them to the big contract. And I think the Blue Jays see that to some extent. Like, you know, Vladdy's going to start making some money this year, but it's not nearly what he's going to make. Bo isn't isn't making money yet like those are two really big pieces (laughs) that you're that you're really you don't have to pay so if you can slot in now what you don't want to do and I actually I asked Mark Shapiro a question about this at a press conference a while ago about that idea of okay these guys are making very little money and as a result isn't it easy to kind of slot in big short term money. I think he sort of misunderstood it and didn't want to. He wanted to say that you don't want to take sort of big contracts on the books because then maybe that prevents you from retaining them long term and things like that. And that's all valid. But now is the time. And the time is running out. Like I said, Vladdy's starting to make the money now. But the time is running out to sign these short term deals and fill in that roster around these young guys without restricting your ability to extend them. But this was one of the last years where they can really do that. And it's tough. It's tough to get pitching, especially on a on a short one year contract, because if you're a pitcher, you want stability. If you can if you're good enough to get stability, you want stability in most cases. So this is actually a weird offseason with a bunch of old guys where some of those one year contracts were maybe in play, like with Verlander and Syndergaard being injury risks and whatnot. I don't know if that's still on the table for them. Like you said, that side of the market is kind of dwindling, but it is it is pretty much perfect for what they want to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I, you know, obviously there's going to be guys, there's going to be guys like Robbie Ray who they'll identify, you know, things that they think that they can help make them better. That, you know, you know, maybe a John Gray is out there who that they like, or I don't, you know, I don't know who they might like. There's still some, there's still some guys who, you know, can absolutely uh, on a one year deal that's relatively cheap, uh, can, can fill out one of those two rotation spots that they would like. But it is going to be very interesting to see. What they do in terms of long-term commitments, if they, if any, uh, if they go for two guys, you know, uh, I mean, do like you know another con- like a Rob- Robbie Ray and Barrios each making twenty million and Ryu for another year, at, at, you know, two more years. Uh, that's a lot of money tied up into your rotation, which will make get a really, really good rotation as we saw last year. Um, but it's definitely, uh, I'm sure, thought of a, quite a lot over there.
0: And if you do that, you know, what resources are you putting towards that bullpen, which has been, you know, that concern. And there's a whole drumbeat for, man, they need to invest there because kind of going cheap and throwing a bunch of arms at the wall and seeing what sticks really hurt them last year. And, mm-hmm. again, it's so easy when you miss the playoffs by one game to be like, oh, well, that's what costs them the playoffs. But it's also kind of fair to say that's what costs them the playoffs. So it's, if you yeah. invest like that in the rotation – what happens to the bullpen? It is it is going to be when the off season finally sort of happens. And again, we're in a pretty ambiguous space right now. We don't know what's going to happen between now and December first. And is there still going to be transactions or and before the pause? And what's the fast and furious nature of free agency <laughs> after a lockout? Presuming that it gets fixed, we don't have to go through all of that. But The next time the Blue Jays are signing players, whenever that is, is going to be a fascinating time.
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. All
0: right, we will leave it with you there this week. Thanks again for tuning in, and hopefully you guys will join us again next Friday.